America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. The doctors. Hi, welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. we got background music playing. We're, we'll get this fixed in just a second. Stay with us. There we are. Good. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and each week we come to you with the best in chat radio, talking about medical issues that affect you and your family. The... Uh, uh, Doctors Lounge is um, sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the uh, only health care think tank in the country that is run by physicians. So I urge you to go to our website, d4pc.org, um, and please support our efforts so that we can continue to put this show on and do all the work that we've been doing around the country, which uh, is important. We fight for health care freedom and for the doctor-patient relationship, and uh, there's a lot of work to be done. So I really will um, urge you to go to the website uh, and support the, f- the work of the foundation. No amount is too small. No amount is too great. Um, so um, we've had a couple of uh, weeks where we've had uh, reruns, and we're glad to be back on the air. Um, and uh, we are uh, happy to have with us today um, a friend of ours, uh, a, a physician who is leading the charge in uh, in healthcare reform, trying to fix the problems that that are. Um, that are plaguing the healthcare uh, community, uh, not not uh, uh, the f- the fault of the the physicians, but the fault of the system, and and the system is is uh, broken, and uh, we uh, seem like we're stagnated. Nobody's really doing anything in healthcare, and nobody's really talking about healthcare, but. Um, trust me, there's a lot going on in the background, and it will resurface again. The news cycle is consumed with um, Trump, with Russia, with um, with uh, the deep state, with corruption, with with all kinds of um, background noise that don't really affect individuals on a daily basis. Healthcare, however, does, and nobody's uh, dealing with the fact that insurance is so expensive that um, fewer and fewer companies are are uh, uh, available to individuals who don't get their insurance from their employers. Um, nobody's talking about the fact that uh, patients are hurting right now and not um, able to uh, navigate the problems that are uh, happening in healthcare. And it's going to come to a head. It um, always does. It'll probably be an issue in the 2018 midterm elections. It has been since 2008. So, um, so stay tuned, and we will continue to do what we do, which is try to educate you and bring you um, uh, provocative uh, issues that are being discussed that nobody really hears about. And one of the um, Issues, um, which we're going to talk about today, among other things, is um, uh, a, a really fe- was featured in an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal yesterday 
by Marion Moss, who is a, uh, a pediatrician in Philly. Um, she is uh, an, a, 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 a physician uh, activist, as am I, as you know. Um, she is uh, the founder of Physicians Working Together, and uh, she uh, uh, wrote a, a, a very um, well-written piece in the Wall Street Journal along with Ken Fisher from Michigan um, about uh, the electronic medical record. I highly commend uh, this piece, uh, Why Your Doctor's Computer is So Clunky. And I welcome the uh, one million new listeners that uh, are um, listening to this podcast thanks to uh, Marion's social network. So, so Marion, glad to have you in the doctor's lounge. It's an honor and a pleasure. And I will say that... Um I'm not going to say how much younger than you I am, but younger enough that I consider you a mentor, and I appreciate all of the work that all of the people associated with Docs for Patient Care have done before me. And so it it pains me. I actually have to correct a misconception. The founder of Physicians Working Together is a family practice physician in Columbus, Georgia, a very wonderful friend of mine, Dr. Kimberly Jackson. So a shout-out to Kimberly. Um, Next week is actually National Physicians Week. We no longer have a day. But it's National Physicians Week in honor of all of the physicians in America, sponsored by Physicians Working Together. I'm the founder of a group called uh, Practicing Physicians of America. I'm actually a co-founder with Dr. Wes B. Fisher um, of Illinois. A shout-out to Wes. He's our MOC expert. Um, And uh, with that said, I'm thrilled that there's a million visitors. Uh, Yes, there is a large social media network, um, and we need to keep plugging on that and using that to help spread the message that our patients are hurting and we need to band together with our patients against the powerful special interests that have hijacked American medicine for their own purpose. I'll give you one little line to start and maybe I can repeat it at the end. Physicians and nurses have a calling. We have a calling to take care of patients. We do need to make a living. But those who have hijacked the system, they're making a killing and people are dying and it's got to stop. That's that's well put and, and a great starting point. Um, you wrote a, a, a very compelling piece um, in the Wall Street Journal about um, the electronic medical record, and there's a lot that could have been written. There's so many problems um, that we are confronting in healthcare: uh, the electronic medical record, the uh, the problems with uh, patients not being able to get insurance. The high cost of health care, the um, the uh, special interests in 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 medicine, which you've um, alluded to just a, a second ago about certain people in healthcare making a killing. Um, what um, what what uh, inspired you to write a piece about uh, electronic medical records? <sighs> Where do you even start? Um, I I've had a you know a little bit of a journey through healthcare. Um, I'm a graduate of Duke University Medical School. I, uh, while I was there, I did a rotation in Montana on a Native American um, reservation. I trained in Chicago. Um, my husband is a surgeon also in the Philadelphia area. Uh, we moved back here. He's in his own, um, he, he's a physician-owned practice. He has three offices. They have three separate hospitals with three hospital EHRs. So. He's like slugging it away. That's electronic health records for yes. those of you who are not medically inclined. 
right, and they're all different, and they don't interoperate with each other, you know, so, you know, the doctor's the one that has to kind of connect them and make sure that the patient understands what's going on with the system and get the information to the patient and the other doctors, and if they're in a different hospital setting, you know, what a mess, what a colossal mess. Um, and then, you know, I worked for 15 years as a hospitalist, meaning in-hospital, and I was doing that when I was transitioning over to medical records. I would encourage everyone to go onto a site called Rebel MD that's run by two wonderful physician advocates, Meg Edison and Arvind Kavali. Uh, three, I think, Chris Held as well. And I wrote a piece there, uh, When Will More Physicians Stand Up for Their Patients? Um, so this happened a number of years ago when I was working in hospital, and we had just changed over to uh, computer order entry. So in other words, you couldn't do the orders by paper anymore. You had to do them over computer. We were having problems with interface. A child came into the ER. When I was coming onto my shift, that child had been there for two and a half hours, looked extremely sick and toxic, had been written for antibiotics for two and a half hours, and hadn't received them that whole time because the order couldn't go through. The interface wasn't working, and the hospital administrator said, you're not allowed to fulfill any orders unless they go through the CPO system, the computer order entry system. So you can go read the article, but um, I took care of that in about 10 minutes. And um, because as physicians, we need to stand up for our patients first, not bow to the orders that come from above by the suits. Okay, so let's the scrubs, not the suits. Let's let's um, take a step back just just to frame this. So so for for um, eternity, medical records were were um, medical charts. And um, and the uh, 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 and and before I I just got a, a a little a little note. We have to fix the level on Marion because it's a little low for people listening on the radio, David. So if we could fix that, that would be great. Um, the um, the electronic uh, medical record was conceived as a way to make um, the the system flow better because it was that um, was perceived that that medical records were um, difficult to uh, uh, to obtain because everybody had their own charts and there was no way that doctors could communicate that medical errors were being made. This was the contention, that medical errors were being made because one doctor would have a patient on some medications, another doctor would have the patient on other medications. There could be drug interactions and the two doctors might not know what other doctors are prescribing. So this is this was a narrative that was really pushed by the electronic medical record industry and um the these again are the special interests that have the ear of people in government who sell an idea and make it sound better than it is and then the they just make a a, a law and say make it work so so it, it is it is like saying people in Washington want to see flying cars, and they write a, a, a law and say we're going to have flying cars tomorrow. Make it work, and that's exactly where the healthcare industry started with electronic medical records. Somebody said, "Make it work," and 
it didn't it didn't happen. They thought that it could be the same kind of transition that the banking industry, for example, undertook, where they were able to make it so that you can scan your check and have it show up in your bank account. But that's not the case with electronic medical records, number one. And number two, it took between 20 and 30 years for that transition to occur in the financial industry. And in 2009, when the high-tech law was passed before Obamacare and this, all of the health information um, uh, stuff was foisted upon the medical community. This is this is where we were, um, uh, what what we were mandated to do. Absolutely, and you know what? Um, you just hit the, the word that I was about to uh, that I've been that I'm going to focus on mandate. And when Americans hear the word mandate, they should go start snooping around on open secrets and figure out who's making money, because when there's a mandate, it means the government's getting paid off. And you know this this whole entrenched establishment that we talk about and mark my words it's on both sides of the aisle you go hang out in dc and you figure out those people just really like being there a whole lot they need to make a lot of money to keep themselves there so a mandate comes along they're making money off of someone and in this case it's the electronic health records we should specifically get into like maybe an example of someone who's making a lot of money you know, a, you a little know, bit later down the line. No, no. Right? Let's actually get into that in just uh, in just a, a, about a minute and a half because we're at a hard break right now. But when we come back, I want you. To, I'm gonna let's get right back into this about mandates and who is making money in the electronic medical record and who's getting hurt. So stay with us. We'll be back in the doctor's lounge. the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're back in the doctor's lounge. My guest today is Marion Muss from uh, uh, Philadelphia, pediatrician, physician, activist, author of the um, uh, one of the uh, latest medical pieces in the Wall Street Journal, Why Your Doctor's Computer is So Clunky. And... Um, uh, we when we um, went to break, we were talking about how uh, uh, physicians are mandated to do these this electronic medical record stuff, 
and um, and Marion, you made the point that the uh, word mandate should scare everybody, and 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 somebody, some entity is um, is making a lot of money on this, and it's not the physicians, and it's not the patients. And uh, why don't why don't you go ahead and elaborate? Oh no, absolutely. You know, there's major sectors of the economy that are making money off of healthcare. Physicians make eight cents in the healthcare dollar, and I never advocate to make more. And I don't mind telling you that my plumber makes more per hour than me as a pediatrician. And I'm not complaining about that. I knew what I was getting into when I went to pediatrics, and I have a, a rich, wonderful experience with the patient care that I can do. But frequently physicians have gotten squeezed, and we've gotten squeezed, and we can do less of the patient care because we're made to do more of the paperwork, computer work, insurance company work, et cetera. That we, could have, we could talk all day about that. But the healthcare um, information technology is what we're here on. Um, they, it's cost billions billions and billions of dollars and wasted hours because for every two hours a doctor or nurse spends on patient care, we're spending three hours on a computer entering data. Physicians are going home at night and having an extra two hours plugging in numbers instead of spending time with their families. They're burning out at epic rates. It's no wonder they're leaving. Um, I think it was actually Naran Al-Ajba who's uh, on our board at Practicing Physicians of America who coined the term Drexit, Dr. Exit. People are leaving over this. So if you go onto that Wall Street Journal article, I personally think the comments are as good, if not better, than the article itself. Doctors are getting on there, and they're, they're telling you in those comments, which every congressman should read, especially everyone who's a physician, you should read those comments in the article. But they're telling us they're going to leave medicine early. They're retiring. They can't keep doing this. And who's making money off of all of this? Well, let's just give as an example the largest... Um, EHR in the nation, I believe, is now Epic. Isn't that true? Yes. Yeah. Epic's net worth is $3.4 billion. Wow. The founder and uh, billionaire CEO of Epic is a woman named Judy Faulkner. Um, You know, this is all public information, so it's not as though I'm spilling something I shouldn't. Um, I guess her um, background, she was the, I guess, sort of a czar, the medical information czar for the Obama administration. Epic is now storing 40%, close to 50% of all healthcare data in America, and they have 60% penetration of the market. But what really concerned me when I learned about, uh, I believe it's Ms. Faulkner, um, is that there was a comment that she made. She and Joe Biden got into a little tiff a couple years ago, right after the cancer moonshot bill passed. Judy said to Joe, quote, and I read this in the paper, so you never know, and I think there were witnesses, but I'm just reading something from an article that uh, was in the paper by credible sources. Judy said to Joe, why do you want your medical records? Because Joe said, I think patients deserve the right to own them, but Judy doesn't think so. Why do you want your medical records, says Judy? They are a thousand pages of which you understand ten. And I think this just nails it right on the head of what the establishment is on both sides of the aisle and across the across the gigantic healthcare system in which the special interests are owning the American people and have enslaved doctors to own the American people. Sorry, maybe I shouldn't use the word slave. Have, have made us indentured servants. I don't mean to disrespect anyone. My apologies. But in any case, there is Judy Faulkner saying... 
you just aren't smart enough to understand your own health. Wow. And that's the establishment for you. They just know better than everyone else, don't they? Well, there's an arrogance and a hubris with uh, people who are uh, running special interests, whether it is the electronic medical records, it's running a hospital, it's running an insurance company. There's people who believe that they know better how to how to administer these these pieces of the healthcare puzzle, and that individuals shouldn't worry themselves because they can't they don't have the capacity to understand. That's why we're in this mess to begin with because physicians owned healthcare at one point, which is the right thing. To, to have happen because physicians are the only ones who really truly care about the 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 uh, well-being of the patients everybody else is looking to make a buck on the system but but uh, we've we've uh, unfortunately uh, been hoodwinked into believing that we should focus on health care and let all of these other um, Entities take care of the other aspects of healthcare, and as healthcare has become more complex, and there are more things that need to be um, paid attention to in healthcare, we've we've really uh, um, made made ourselves um, really immaterial. We're we we're giving the healthcare, and then. And and that's it. And so so we're a necessary evil to all of these special interests. I, you know what? It, I almost find it, and I don't know if you feel this way sometimes. You just feel helpless. Like with all the things that we have to do, we're the ones that have to go back into that room with the patient and you know tell them we don't have time for taking care of this, or we can't get you your medication that you need or your test that you need. We, you know, we're we have to be the ones that go back and look them in the eye and tell them what we can't do. And it's nearly embarrassing because when you train for medicine, it's, you know, four years of college, four years of medical school, anywhere between three and 11 years of residency. And all that time you're either paying or not being able to pay off your loans. And you're looking that patient in the eye. You're the only one trained to do it, you know, and yet for, for every one of us, there's 10 administrators, and they're the ones really socking it away, whether they're in IT or insurance right. or hospitals or whatever. And, 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 it's, yeah, it's and, not, and not to lament or not to get distracted, I think that your piece is important because people, when they go to the doctor today, they, are, they know something's wrong, and they're they're dissatisfied with their experience in the physician's office you know they're not not even to mention the fact that physicians are so overworked that they're spending far less time with the doctors than they used to or they're not even seeing the doctor they're seeing a mid-level and not to disparage anybody but you know i'm i'm merely saying that a doctor's visit is no longer a doctor's visit for many people. But <clears throat> when they are in the doctor's office, when they're in the exam room, their experience in there is very different than it used to be. Absolutely. And if you think about it, most patients are coming in, they're vulnerable, right? You know, they're ill, they're sick, they're hurting, maybe they're depressed, they're anxious, you know, they're, they're going through whatever they go through in their lives and looking for us to fix their problems and we are completely distracted by all the obstruction that is put in there by by these vultures who who don't have to go look the patients in the eye and haven't done the training and are in there 
doing nothing but making a killing. That well, let's like a complete obstruction. And again, let's I, you know I, I want to pull you back into focusing on the problem for the people who aren't medical, so that sure. they understand sure. they understand what the frustration is because physicians are are frustrated because we cannot give our patients what they need because others are making us do um, busy work that has absolutely no benefit to the patient. Right, absolutely. And, you know, we, we go back to that issue with the mandate. And, you know, I know there's a lot of physicians out there that say, just give me the paper charts, that's fine with me. And you know what, I think that should be one choice. This should not be mandated. You want a really quick, simple solution? High tech act? Goodbye. It's a choice. If you have a medical record that's electronic, and it's a choice which one you use, and having that choice and not having constraints, because all of these electronic records must be approved by the government, and, you know, I mean, when you're Epic and you're 40% of the system, you know, you can imagine what they're doing with a portion of their income there, right? <laughs> Greasing the palms of someone who wants to keep it in place. But... If it's, a, if it's mandated on us, we're not going to get a good product. It's when you open up choice and competition that you'll have a good product. And I, I actually find things about the electronic health record that I do like, but I find a lot of things that I don't like, and I see a lot of almost, I hate to say it, they're like so scary that they're comical situations that come up on even on a system like Epic that can be harmful to the patient. Give an example. Okay, so um, I've, I, I use Epic now, and when I first started with it, I will say that it was the most cumbersome part of getting used to the position that I'm now in. Um, so when I first started, I had a patient that came in, and when you're, when you're discharging your patient on Epic, um, at least in my scenario, the way my uh, computer is set up, you, you have to put in all of the patient's diagnoses. Now, I'm married to an ear, nose, and throat surgeon, an otolaryngologist, and um, this particular patient that came in had ear tubes, you know, which you get when you have uh, frequent ear infections. And so I noted that that had not been down on the medical record as a diagnosis, so I clicked the box that said BTM, which means bilateral tubal laryngotomy to an otolaryngologist, and I went happily upon my way. Well, the patient ended up coming back to me, so this is when I first started. Um, with Epic. The patient came back to me, oh gosh, I don't know how many months later, maybe nine, ten months later, and had been seen within the system multiple times. And when the patient came back, there was this giant flag at the top of the chart that said communicable disease, communicable disease. Like this, I mean, you couldn't miss it, right? So of course, I'm thinking like, uh-oh, I better check on this. So I clicked it open, and it said that the patient had benign tertian malaria. Malaria. You know, that's a pretty important communicable disease. Right. You would have thought the CDC would have been reported about this. But the point is, is that, wow, if that patient had been seen several times in the meantime, no one else found this flag. And if this flag was in there, I mean, who's behind the curtain at the Great Oz opening it up and, like, trying to warn everyone that the patient has malaria, which they didn't. Yeah. They didn't. And think about how terrible for that patient had an insurance company opened up the door. I guess they're not paying attention either, but um, I don't know what they're doing all day. But anyway, but so, what if they so, had opened it up and then said to this patient, you have malaria, and then the rates went up or they couldn't get insurance? Exactly. Or who knew what, you know? That's I right. Mean, 
Unbelievable. And and error, you know, I I, I want to focus on some errors in the next segment because I think that that's what people don't understand that their medical record is is um, a living, breathing um, entity that follows them, and and things happen in there that that are out of their control and and, um, and quite frankly um, you know out of out of our control many times so stay with us in the doctor's lounge as we uh, talk more about um, uh, medical the electronic medical record uh, uh, fiasco and uh, and with our guest Marion mass so stay with us the Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. Um, our show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. And um, I uh, urge you to go to our website, look through um, all of the information that's on there. Um, Marion, before I forget, why don't you give um, a website and uh, sources for people to access the work that you're doing? Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. Um, you can go to uh, Practicing Physicians of America, um, I think it's .org, I believe. Um, and actually, if you go there, what pops up first is this white paper that I just wrote with Vicki Wall and Marnie Jameson Carey um, of Association of Independent Doctors. And we wrote the white paper that's dissecting the cost drivers in healthcare. And then we gave specific solutions to be implemented at the federal level. And I just came back from four days on Capitol Hill, taking it around and getting it to as many lawmakers and aides and policy uh, and people as possible. So if you go on to practicingphysiciansofamerica.org, uh, which is our main site, um, and then you can, you can see our wonderful people that we have on our board. Um, we have uh, Wes Fisher, the co-founder, with me, um, Dr. Judith Thompson, our uh, chairman of the board right now, chairwoman of the board. Um, we have uh, Brian Jamal Dixon, um, a child psychiatrist from California. Uh, sorry, from Texas, the great state of Texas. He likes to say, um, Naran L. Ajba, another pediatrician from Seattle, Washington. People that meet us, how tell us they swear we must be sisters, and our husbands don't want us together that often because, well, <laughs> too much, too much intensity in the room. And then lastly, uh, Craig Wax, who's in New Jersey, a uh, family. Um, practice physician um, in New Jersey and has been an advocate for a long time and a wonderful writer as well. So practicingphysicians.org. Okay, um, great. Yeah. Please check that out. I think that you'll find that Marion's doing um, uh, ter- a tremendous uh, job. It's 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 hard 
being uh, on all the time and doing the work that we're doing in addition to our full-time jobs of taking care of patients and Marion's second job, which is being a mother. So, so uh, That's the best job. It is always the best job. So um, Marion wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal with Ken Fisher, Why Your Doctor's Computer is So Clunky. We've devoted this show to the problems with the electronic medical record. And um, what what patients are finding is that the experience is is um, difficult for them in the office because their doctor's nose is buried in a computer, and unfortunately, <clears throat> the doctors are overburdened because of the mandates from the government and from insurance companies. And if they work for hospitals, them too because there's just so many different um, masters that physicians taking care of patients are answerable to. And, um, and unfortunately, the end result is one which is very unsatisfactory because at the end result of all of this busy work is creating a, a document or creating a um, a uh, an electronic trail of clicking boxes and and um, putting in um, uh, information that very often doesn't really fit. You have to find the best fit. One of the one of the you know um, biggest um, intrusions into what we do as physicians is trying to figure out the new coding system, the ICD-10 coding system, and how that fits in to the electronic medical record. And And the point is that errors are made all the time. You, I think you started to say this in the last segment, Marion. Um, you know, and, and you and I have talked off, off the air about this before, but simply misclicking on one box for two drugs that might be next to each other can mean the difference between life and death for a patient because that's that's the the margin of error on an electronic medical record that we're talking about that does not happen in when you write a prescription out or when you write something in the chart, you might not be able to make out a doctor's handwriting, but that's far different than actually clicking a box and a patient getting a dangerous, a, a drug that would be dangerous for them. Sure, or even imagine the same drug at different concentrations, like heparin, which is an anti-clotting drug. You know, if you get the stronger concentration of heparin, you could have a head bleed and die. Right. Or epinephrine, which comes in you know, one formulation and one that's 10,000 stronger. Right. So, uh, there's, there's many examples of that. But And, you know, as I said, I'm not against the computer being involved in the system, but it again, and it's mandated before we're ready. And you know what? All of us in medicine recognize that whenever people are making these nefarious plans, the physicians are never at the table. It's like, where's the practicing physicians? That's why we called it Practicing Physicians of America. We're never there. It's always some person in a suit instead of someone in scrubs, and they're telling us what to do and the best way that it's going to work. We could have used, like, maybe two years' worth of planning and then had systems with choice, but um, I'll give an analogy. I I think it's, like, calculated. My analogy is, uh, you know, I'm a mom, so I have to mop my floor, right? 
I go to the grocery store and I buy a mop, and then I usually buy five mop heads for that mop because if I didn't buy the five mop heads, you know, when I needed the new mop head, I'd go back to the store, and then they would have a whole different mop set up, and then I would be throwing out my mop and, you know, then having to buy new heads and so on and so forth, and I hate waste. They do the same thing with these computer systems, and I know there's several hundreds, well, there's hundreds of thousands of physicians around the country that purchased an electronic health record system for their office. Um, I believe, like, I'll give you a number for someone that's very near and dear to me. I believe his practice spent $125,000 on their first system. They still have the same system, I believe. And this was way back when it was mandated. And what people don't realize is that the government made us, on top of getting the system, do something called meaningful use. We call it meaningless use so that physicians had to go into their computer system and download, you know, information about their patient to the government that the government was just busy data collecting, so we're doing their job for them. And they, when, they, when they were good little boy and girl doctors and downloaded all the right information that they were supposed to and jumped all through the hoops and were very compliant, then they got 60% back of their cost of their system. So, you know, physicians only had to put up 40% of the bill, and the taxpayers had to put out the rest. If I were the taxpayer, wow, I'd be pretty steamed about this because, you know, a lot of physicians had to change their system, and it, to set up their system, it took an enormous amount of time, um, which is time away from the patient, of course. So who loses in the end? It's always the patient. And who's winning? Those people who are putting out the systems because they're making lots of money. Get yeah. back to that epic. Worth $3.4 billion. Wow. And, wow. that, and that's one thing I wanted to point out in your article. That's a misconception that I, I don't want people to focus on. Um, when when uh, you pointed out the high cost of what the electronic medical record is all about, and that the the costs were just going to be passed along to the patients, that may be true with the hospitals that may be true with insurance companies but it's not true with physicians because physicians can't pass along costs physicians get paid unfortunately from third parties in almost the the major the vast majority of cases in this country right now hopefully that will change but but they can't pass along those costs. So the physicians actually have to eat those costs. And eating those costs mean direct costs, having to pay for the system, which you've pointed out is very costly. It also means hiring extra people so that you can administer these systems because it takes manpower and expertise to be able to run them. And, and, um, and, and they go down. They need to be fixed. They need to, they need to be working. You know, the, one of the biggest disruptions, as, as one of the managing partners of a large practice in, in uh, Atlanta, is when the system goes down, you can't see patients because you can't access their medical records. And so you have to spend an ima- an, 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 just an unbelievable amount of money for redundancy in the system. So you have servers that can back up in case the main servers go down. You have to have people who can do this kind of, of work because we're not trained to do that. And it becomes incredibly expensive. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So 
Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, Marion. So, what? What's the solution to this problem? Well, I, I mentioned a little bit before, and you know, in in the in the paper, we talk about well, maybe um, maybe this big merger that's you know going to happen with uh, Amazon will help things. I actually don't even know about that. I mean, they're their own profiteers, and you know what? I honestly think the solution should come from patients, physicians, and nurses. Let me just add in here, we don't, you know, we could have a whole separate show about this, but our our bedside nurses, you know, the people who back us up every single day, and I know you know that, they're suffering under this too. You know, they're, they're having to do a lot of documentation. It's an onerous burden for them, and they're overworked, and they're burning out right alongside us. I mean, wow, what a great joining of hands. But the solution is really to turn this back to the people who should be at the top of the healthcare pyramid of Dr. Schurz, and that is the patient and the physician and really the bond between the patient and the physician. We should have choice. We should have the choice of whether or not we participate at all with an electronic health record. Why is it the government's business? Why is healthcare any of their business? A good friend of mine recently said, when you're down there in Congress, please tell them you've done enough. Go away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought it was kind I'm of from funny. the government. I'm here to help you. <laughs> I was going to try not to laugh during this segment. I knew it was going to be impossible. Um, but in any case, I think the solution is to make it, first of all, make the electronic health record a choice and stop pretending that you as the government are the people that should be able to say which ones are the best ones because that essentially just gives you another bribe. Call it like it is. As soon as you get to be the ones to pick which systems are the systems that the American doctor can use, then you've got another bribe on your plate. Yeah, Don't you? I, oh, absolutely. Uh, there's, there's no question about it. The special interests sadly control health care um, decision-making in Washington, whether it is the electronic medical record industry, whether it's the insurance industry. This is all contributing to, to, to the high cost of health care, which is not expensive to deliver. People don't realize that, you know, the the relationship between you, Marion, and your patients is is uh, for you to deliver health care to them if there were no barriers involved, if there were no um, mandates that you had to follow. It doesn't cost a patient very much for you to have to take care of them. It's all the other stuff that's piled on that is not really contributing directly to the care of the patients that is costing. Sure, and to get back to the look, and I know I'm, I'm using an inflammatory word to call it a bribe, but you know what, it's never too late, right? I mean, I'm sure that those that are our lawmakers down there in Washington, D.C., they could open up their books and they could discover who's donated the money, but that doesn't mean they have to follow through with the, um, the quid pro quo. I mean... They're happy to take the money. They're happy to fund the reelection, but they can always do the right thing. Can we just like just get to that? Let's do the right thing by the American people. Yeah, and, do the and right thing. I, I think that one of the things that I'd like to um, also point out about this electronic medical record fiasco is that people, be, you know, the the the. Um, I, I think that the myth that the electronic medical record will produce a meaningful um, uh, document or a meaningful result is is really just that it's a myth because working in hospitals and and seeing how 
doctors are trying to get through the day, they don't write um, original content in the electronic medical record. They do what's called cutting and pasting, and they wind up going ahead and just redocumenting what's already been in there th- by cutting and pasting and putting it into a new note. And so it's, I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you, you and your kids have played telephone, and you start at one end and you come out on the other end, and the message is not even close to what it started, and that's what the electronic medical record really is today, unfortunately, in America. It's basically garbage in, garbage out. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the other pro- there's two other problems, as I see it, um, that, that are related to what you just said, um, very salient. Um, number one, you get a as a physician, if you get a note from another physician, it's this big, long, 15-page note, and you're, like, you're looking everywhere in the note, and because it's all different systems, and we'll talk about that in a minute, because it's all different systems, you can't find that one little salient piece. Like, when I trained at medical school, we were still paper charts, and it was a big joke. You know, everyone at Duke, they would go to the head surgeon or the head internal medicine doctor or the head pediatrician, whoever, and read their little one paragraph because that was where the money was. Yes. You can't find that now. No. Instead, you've got 20 pages, and because they're not similar systems, um, although it probably will be when Epic takes over the world, ha-ha, um, because they're not similar systems, you, you have to look around and figure out where this one salient piece might be, if it's there at all. And secondly, if you're a physician working in an office and you're getting a note from another physician that comes from another system, guess how they're sending it to you? A lot of times by fax. So we're cutting down trees, people. Wow, I'm a tree hugger. Are you a tree hugger, Hal? Well, I like trees. Well, I love trees. I love trees, and I, and I again, I I don't want to waste resources, but but uh, clearly uh, we're not solving that problem with with uh, this. So we're gonna take our. There's a break, and uh, we'll we'll be finishing up in the last segment in the doctor's lounge with Mary and Mass. So stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. With my guest, Marion Mass, um, of Practicing Physicians of America and uh, author of the uh, one of the uh, uh, latest op-eds on health care in the Wall Street Journal, Why Your Doctor's Computer is So Clunky. Um, we've been... Um, 
trying to delve into the problems with the electronic medical record and why it's so bad. And um, we've uh, uh, talked about the fact that uh, it really does not produce what it was intended to. It's it's um, It burdens physicians. It costs a lot of money. It fails patients because it does not help with their health care. And it is... Um, just a, a, a giant mess that uh, that uh, benefits the IT industry and the IT industry only. Everything else that it touches is is uh, um, is is basically uh, an epic fail. Epic. <laughs> it's, it's sort of like a play on <laughs> words since, since epic is the the uh, the largest uh, electronic healthcare record company in America. So. The um, you know I, I've always said that if there was a product out there that really worked, that you'd have physicians lined up outside the the um, the store of whoever is selling this, just like they do when the new iPhone comes out, and doctors are are hungry for something that can actually make their lives easier and make their patient care better. It doesn't well, exist right no. now. No, and you know what I find so ironic? You know, I'm a pediatrician. I'm thinking to myself, knowing what, and my kids don't have crazy video games, but, you know, there's these kids that have these game systems with these incredible graphics and these headsets that they wear that I believe I've told they, they talk into them. And, you know, dear Lord, they can probably, like, I don't know, build the Taj Mahal with these systems. But in any case, what do I have? I have this, this, this clunky system. 1980 you know, version computer. Yes. And I've said, where is, you know, like I could imagine, and, you know, maybe some entrepreneurs uh, listening and they'll build a million-dollar system that'll fix everything here. I'm imagining having like a headset on that has a little microphone for me and a little microphone that I can turn to the patient. And so I can actually look at my patient because that's one of the things about about this whole system is as physicians in the old days, we looked at our patient when we interviewed them um, and we were able to get visual clues. Now, I will say that we, we do have scribes where I am and those scribes are career extenders as far as I'm concerned because they do give me the ability to look at my patient. But I can imagine a system where I don't necessarily even need the scribe, although I love my scribes, have a little microphone set up, like I said, and maybe even like a little camera on some type of like connected to the forehead part of it, and a button on my hip that I could like press and shoot to take a picture of a rash that would immediately get downloaded into the computer. I mean, if these kids have these video game systems as I described, where's my system like that? So, Marion, I, I believe, I, I actually am, uh, am an optimist when it comes to this because I think that there is there is um, opportunity, and the opportunity is going to be with um, healthcare delivery models that are outside of the mainstream, outside of insurance, outside of ne- of government um, healthcare um, healthcare sy- delivery systems where physicians are unencumbered by the regulations of the government, of the insurance companies, of the hospitals, and in a, in a 
settings such as that, you can go to Apple or you can go to Microsoft or go to whomever to help partner with with this entity and create a meaningful information system which would do what you've just said, would incorporate a camera so that a, a photo can be uploaded into the system or some doctor in this healthcare model could um, communicate with another physician via some portal, whether it is on um, Skype or it is by phone or text or whatever, and be able to transmit information effectively and and meaningfully, um, which is very different than what we have right now. And, and what we really need to see happen, and this is a, a great end to this segment, is what we're seeing in the banking industry, what we're seeing in the oil and gas industry, we need to see deregulation in healthcare. And if if the people in Washington could get just one message, it's to get out of healthcare, deregulate it. Don't try to reconfigure insurance and figure out an, a, a way that we can work through this. Yes. We have to figure out insurance, but open up. I always like to say, open up a a a express lane on the healthcare delivery superhighway for people who want to create um, solutions that are innovative and different than the, what we've always been doing. This is a brilliant way to put it. And you know what? Like, let's put it in big capital letters: choice. Give us choice. But the one, the one thing that I'll say that, um, that I'll hesitate with there, build that highway, but I think we physicians have to remember that we have brothers and sisters in medicine that, for many reasons, you know, they're, they're exiting medical school with mortgage worth of loans. You know, I, went to, I started at Duke Med in 1990. I was fortunate enough to have a fellowship, but at the time, um, my tuition was 13000 a year. Let that sink in. It must be like 65, 68, something completely crazy right now. In any case, um, the young students that are coming out that go through the residency have such an enormous debt that, you know, a lot of them feel the need to become employed because it's a lot of, it's a lot of effort and it's a, a financial risk to go out there and start your own business, your own practice. And they're... They're just tired. They're finished residency. You're a resident. Uh, you're working 100 hours a week sometimes. And it looks really good to have someone take care of all the busy work and the paperwork. And they're going to take care of the electronic health record for you. And they're going to make all the decisions. Don't you worry. Sign on the dotted line here, doctor. So now these young doctors, and they're the ones I feel the worst for, Dr. Schurz, they're in these practices with these huge loans, and there's no way out. And you want to hear something really sad, and I know you know this. Physicians have vaulted over dentists, and we now have, of all professionals, the highest suicide rate in the nation. Yes, that's right. And and I just am really sad over that. And I think it's the two ends of the spectrum, I believe. It's the young physicians, just as I described, and the older ones who, you know, physicians don't ever want to really retire from clinical work because we love the clinical work. But these older physicians, they're stuck with electronic records, and they're stuck with 
certification issues and all kinds of other issues, and they're also offing themselves. And the ones that are offing themselves are leaving the profession. So, you know, I, we've just described right there several several ways that we're going to have this continued slow bleed Drexit, Dr. Exit, as Absolutely. Dr. Al Ajba. And, you know, the last way is that there's not going to be an entryway to medicine because over 60% of physicians are actively telling young people, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And right. isn't that a travesty? Oh, it's, it's you know, my, my children, none of my children are, are going into uh, medicine. I have a dentist, and that was, that, that's, that's the closest that we have to somebody in healthcare. But, you know, I think that you've, you've made a, a really important point, Marion, that the, the young doctors are, 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 uh, are being, are being forced into, into, uh, employment. The older doctors are being forced out of employment. And, and a lot of it has to do with the electronic medical record because it's expensive to implement it, so a young doctor can't afford it. The older doctors, and uh, we're, we're seeing this all the time where hospitals are converting to electronic medical records and doctors don't want to learn them. And if they're, if they're 60, 65, 68, they are just checking out, and they don't want to. They don't want to go through the hassle of learning a system. So they're just saying enough's enough. And uh, you know, we can talk about the slow bleed of of uh, talent in healthcare. That's another another a topic for another show. But we're wrapping this up, Marion. We we uh, and last comment. You've got one minute. <sighs> I love being a doctor. Please let me be a doctor for my patients. And please come join, if you're a physician, donate to Docs for Patient Care Foundation. Come join Practicing Physicians of America. Come join, come join us for National Physicians Week starting on the 25th. Go look up Physicians Working Together and come join us there. Join Association of Independent Doctors. Donate to Benjamin Rush Institute. Do one of these things, and then all of these groups, can we please pull together? Because I think all of those groups and others, I'm forgetting some, my apologies. That's okay, because we're out of yep. time. So, so Marion, thank you for being with us today. This was a, a, a great show, and your piece in the Wall Street Journal was excellent. So stay, um, come back next week in the Doctor's Lounge, and uh, Mike Karuchik will take you uh, uh, in next week's show. So thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you.